Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and we have another Chiefs W to talk about. A little uh, brief NFL news at the top, and then we'll dive right in. So let's not delay. Let's go ahead and introduce the guys. He's here to tell you that even though he can't coach, Nathaniel Hackett is a really nice guy. Jacob Allen is with us. What's going on, man? I cannot confirm that. I never met the man. He definitely seems like an arrogant idiot. He's wondering if Arthur Smith knows that you should throw to your best players if you are trying to win. Sam Black is with us. What's going on, dude? We can't say too much because the past several years, we didn't even play our best players. So we don't have too much room to talk. And I am Sean Deegan, and if you told me the NFL passing leaders this year would be Tua Tagovailoa, Carson Wentz, and Joe Flacco, I'd have told you you were drinking too much ayahuasca with Aaron Rodgers. All right, guys, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the re- one of the results from this past weekend, um, actually this week, technically, Monday Night Football is where we're going to start. And we wanted to start with this topic specifically because this team has basically been the 1A um, to the Kansas City Chiefs, at least in Chiefs Kingdom, there are a lot of other teams that say that the Bills, the Buffalo Bills, is who are alluding, who I'm alluding to, are the best team in the NFL. And having watched them the past two weeks, they are they are making a convincing case. So we wanted to start with the Chiefs' main competition for getting to the Super Bowl, or what we anticipate will be their main competition getting to the Super Bowl, gentlemen. What are your overall impressions of the Bills through two games? Obviously, we're the Rams have not looked like a Super Bowl caliber team thus far. We're, we're not sure what the Titans are, although it has it didn't look pretty on Monday night. Jacob, we will start with you. What do you make of this Bills team after two games? Every team has flaws, but uh, after those two matchups, it is tough to see theirs. Neither of the two teams they beat are teams that I would – even consider I'm going to be crazy a little bit crazy and say I wasn't considering either of the two teams they played playoff teams I definitely don't think the Titans will be and the Rams I just don't believe in with how they don't have a left tackle but or a playmaker or a defense besides three guys but anyway yeah I was the one that said I wasn't fully sold on the Bills it's getting tougher and tougher to say that because Josh Allen is, again, scrambling to pass more often, which is terrifying. Sam, how about you? What do you make of this team overall as uh, the Chiefs' main competition? Josh Allen's really good at football. <laughs> I think we have seen it, – it is pretty crazy. I think I've heard it through multiple people uh, today listening to uh, Times Ours. The fact that you can call Patrick Mahomes and, and multiple people, again, outlets have called him this. I, I don't necessarily know if it's the best way of stating it, but you can call Patrick Mahomes a game manager. And compared to what just Justin Herbert and Josh Allen can do, you're not far off. Like he kind of looks like an Alex Smith type compared to those two. Like, yes, his arm is just as good as theirs, but they're just monster human beings and the bills have built a team that again like jacob said it's it's hard to see their weakness now i think a lot of people i i honestly could say that about the chargers i think the chargers are 
a very similar team to the Bills, as we'll kind of get into talking about the game. But I, I just think that the Bills have done it. They just have a few extra pieces that make them a pretty special team. And, and they're going to be – I mean, I, I was pretty sold on them after first after the first week of Josh Allen. And Jacob's right. Uh, I heard a stat that Josh Allen has now played, I think it was 64 games in the NFL. Do you guys know how many times uh, – how many of those games he has only rushed for once? Only rushed once? <laughs> Yeah. I can't imagine. I'll say nine. I'll say he's always. It was once, and it was against the Titans. <laughs> I was going to say the Titans, too, are a pretty good matchup for the Bills because they try to do a lot of the same things that Bills do with worse pieces outside of Derrick Henry. But, no, so, yeah, Josh Allen only rushed once against the Bills, which is obviously not his norm, but it's showing that, just like we talked about Patrick Mahomes last, last week, uh, he continually gets better and that's ridiculous to say that you I think you have specifically three in Patrick Mahomes I think Justin Herbert and Josh Allen that are just doing things that we haven't seen quarterbacks do and it's impressive to watch so can I take this a separate direction very quickly sure what matchup was better was I guess I'll ask from a talent standpoint, was it Peyton versus Brady or was it Josh Allen versus Mahomes? Oh, the more entertaining oh. is Mahomes and Allen, just because they the way they move in the pocket, the way they move outside the pocket, the arm angles, the arm strength, it's just it's different than the style that Manning and Brady played with. Yeah, and I think if you if you compare the thing is, I think what we're looking at, what we think of as soon as we think of Brady and Manning is we think midway through their career. These guys are still starting. Like they're just starting their career, basically. They they've only played a handful of years in the NFL, and they're doing, I would say, just under. They're physically they're way above what Peyton and, and Brady ever were. Like Peyton obviously was an incredible arm talent, but that's what he was. Like if he didn't move outside the pocket, we know that. If he did, it was the hospital pretty quick. But and their brain as well. Yeah, but their uh, their knowledge of the game, their ability to break down the game, I don't think is that far behind those two guys. And and yes, like Brady is still, I think, as of right now, the greatest of all time. It's hard to deny that. Peyton is right up there with him. And, and I do think at the end of their career, obviously, or you look at midway further on in their career, like the longer you're in the NFL, the more you understand the game. But we're seeing two guys that within the first five years of their career, basically they're doing things that Peyton and Tom Brady never were able to do. So I think it's by far more entertaining to watch just because of the, like Sean said, the ability that these guys have. Jacob, you said the Titans are a good match for the bills. And uh, I would have loved to have seen that because yeah, if they're a good matchup for the bills, I'm genuinely concerned about the chiefs. Because they, I mean, forty-one to seven is a, that's an ass kicking up and down, and watching Josh like, Allen just never get flustered. Like he never got flustered. He was fine no matter where he was on the field. And some of those throws, especially the one where he like rotates his body, he's throwing off his back foot, throws it like forty yards across the field, left to right, not even down the field, just left to right in the red zone, and finds Stephon Diggs wide open. 
I mean, we talk about Mahomes like doing things that we've never seen before. And I think I'm starting to wonder like physical gifts wise, they might be on par. I think they are on par. These are probably, at least in my opinion, the two greatest talents to have ever played the quarterback position. So I, I will just because I got to rub it in at some point, I've got to get it in. Calling the Titans a good matchup against the Bills is like Sean, saying Sean's a good matchup against me in fantasy. God bless it. I That's almost, not not the reality because yes, I yet again beat him. I didn't I didn't make it to the first question. I like intentionally <laughs> left it out of the the open. Uh, for those who don't know, in our ESPN fantasy league, I am a in the ten years that we've done this, I am now two and eight against Sam. Don't know how it happened. Just every year. He scored a lot of points, but he just didn't score enough. Sean's the Titans to Sam Bill, Sam's Bills. Apparently. Yeah. The other part that scares me about the Bills, like, I mean, we talk about Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. Um, Gabe Davis didn't even play in this game. But their defense, up and down, is just filled with guys who will give you a problem. Their whole front four terrifies me. Matt Milano and – and in the middle for them, I think, is a, a very good linebacker. And their secondary, I saw, it, I saw it against the Titans. The Titans had no prayer of throwing the ball. They just didn't. They never were able to create separation, any of the Titans wide receivers. They couldn't, any, any kind of short routes to try and negate the ability to go downfield were just completely jumped. Even by Matt Milano, of all people who took the pick back for to the house for a touchdown, they, okay, they, Sean, so tell me this. Who's your Super Bowl favorite? Who's your favorite to win the Super Bowl this year? I think after having seen this, I, I think the Bills should be the favorite. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think right in this moment, Bills is an easy pick. I'm yeah. I'm even in the boat of like, let's see what the Chiefs become right. before I, I get back on their bandwagon. But I think that's what you're banking on. Because that's, I mean, that's what we talk about. We'll talk about later with like the defense and, and the wide receiver core and all of that coming together. Is that's what you're banking on? Is this to continue to improve? Because they've already looked really, I mean, they, the Chiefs are an amazing team. They beat the snot out of the Cardinals and then were able to scrape the win on a short week against one of the better, the more talented teams, I'll say, in the NFL. I honestly think it's. Bills, like if I was going to say Super Bowl, Bills are one right now. And of what we saw, again, we'll dive more into the game. But I think it's Chiefs 2A and Chargers 2B. Yeah. Like, I, I honestly, I I think the Chargers are an incredibly talented roster. Mm-hmm. Like, I, very similar similar build to the Bills in general. And it, it honestly is a team that is beat, built to beat the Chiefs. I, I believe in the Chargers only if they get to play the Chiefs in all of their playoff games. Because <laughs> that's just a bad matchup for the Chiefs. They always are. They always will be, as long as they're constructed the way they are. On on that point of matchups, Jacob, again, beautifully transitioning us to our, our last question here about the Bills. What are the position groups you think would give the Chiefs the most problems having watched the Bills? Offense or defense? It doesn't matter to me. My pick, I'll be straight up, is the defensive line. They they win with power. They win with speed. They win with with scheme. That front just mauls everybody, whether it's Rousseau on a bull rush, just taking a, a guard or a tackle into the backfield, whether it's Vaughn Miller 
just smoking tackles off the edge um, in a, with a myriad of moves and still an, an explosion off the edge that we haven't seen for a long, long time. They are going to be a problem for anybody in the league, but especially, I think, for the Chiefs because we've talked about the Chiefs have problems with speed off the edge. And then I think when you combine that, when you're worried about that speed off the edge, that's when power can surprise you. So what about you guys? What's the position group? that you think on offense or defense, whichever side, that would give the Chiefs the most problems. We'll, we'll flip things around and Sam let you bat lead off. I'm not going to let Sam bat lead off. I want to chime in on what you said. Isn't it funny that the two guys we are scared the most about on their D-line are two guys that we projected to the Chiefs on this podcast? In Greg Rousseau and Von Miller, and then neither of them became an actual reality because of one, Von Miller's contract, and two, Greg Rousseau went way before we thought he would to the Bills. Would have been great. Would have been great. So do I get to go now? You can go now. Okay. Uh, you may go, Sam. I, and this is – it may, because of all the time we give Sean crap, it, it may sound like I'm trying to, but I'm honestly not, and it's Josh Allen. And, and the reason I say that is because I agree with you, their defensive line looks terrifying. The defensive line we just went up against is pretty terrifying. And I feel like we neutralized it. Pretty dang well. I, I think, like, obviously until we see see them, it's hard to know how how comparable these D-lines are and everything. We, we've seen – we know what Stephon Diggs is. Um, we've gone against him several years now with the, with the Bills. But as it was last year, and, and the, both every time we played him, Josh Allen is the X factor, much like Patrick Mahomes is. And he makes that team run to the point where I'm not necessarily afraid of any position group being able, like if we're another team and you say, okay, or here, I'll put it this way. If you, if you take Josh Allen out and tell me, and I can't say Josh Allen, and you tell me who I'm afraid of. The only player I can say is Stefan Diggs. But again, we can, we've seen our, our cornerbacks have improved greatly to this point. And the rest of their team, it's good, but no one scares me. It's not like they have a Travis Kelsey or a Tyreek Hill or any of the just explosive players like that. So that team, what what that team scares me is Josh Allen, a quarterback. And it's just because he, he is proving, as we've already gushed over him plenty, but he is maybe getting there to the point where he, he could be considered, if not, as good, better than Patrick Mahomes. Jay, what about you? What what group would you identify as going to be the real problem for the Chiefs? Well, first off, I think Sam was unintentionally giving a shout-out to the second-best returner in NFL Chiefs history's birthday today and the X Factor. Those of you on Twitter know why I said the second-best. My, my feelings are obviously Dante Hall's number one, but – we don't need to go any further than that rabbit hole. My answer is yes. You're both right. You're both right. What did Orlando Brown struggle with last year in the playoffs as far as the type of rusher? Speed. Speed. Vaughn Miller looks like he's 25 years old right now, so hopefully he looks older as the season goes on. That's what I'm banking on. That's the way I – 
don't cry myself to sleep every single night about losing out on him after I thought about him for an entire football season. But uh, yeah, and then Rousseau is a very talented player as well. I think I don't think he presents as many fits for the Chiefs as Von Miller does. But also, yeah, Josh Allen's legs and arm are going to be a problem. But I do think, weirdly, the Bills went out and got Von Miller to get after the Chiefs, right? I think, weirdly, the Chiefs' defense is now constructed to play against a Josh Allen better with a lot more athletic guys on all three levels. You don't have slow defensive ends trying to chase down Josh Allen. You have two guys that are quicker now, and Carlos Dunlap and, and of course, uh, Furious George. And then on the second level, you're not you're not watching Ben Neiman anymore. And on the third level, Tyron Matthew had slipped by the time you know, they were matching up last year against Josh Allen. He played against Josh Allen in the playoff game, right? He got hurt in which game? No, he got hurt in the Bills game. That's what it was. Because that's when the Bills went crazy in the second half. But either way, I, I, I like the athleticism of the defense more. So Josh Allen doesn't scare me as much as he used to last year. But he's also better than last year. So it's like, which thing has improved more? That's what will be the true test. Definitely wanted to spend a minute on it just because they, they to me, have been definitively the most impressive team uh, so far through two games in the NFL season. A lot of NFL games obviously left, but they've been the one that has been most often compared to the Chiefs and now is considered the main competition. So I figured we'd take a minute to talk about that. Let's pivot to the... News of the week for regarding the Kansas City Chiefs specifically. The last thing we have to talk about before we actually get to talk about the game, and unfortunately uh, it involves off-the-field stuff again, and uh, the news came down. I'm reading this off of uh, ESPN.com. Adam Teicher, ESPN Staff Writers, uh, writes, Chiefs linebacker Willie Gay has been suspended by the NFL for four games for a violation of the league's personal conduct policy. Gay was arrested in January in Overland Park, Kansas, on a charge of criminal property damage of less than $1,000, a misdemeanor. Gay's suspension will begin immediately. He will miss games against the Colts, Buccaneers, Raiders, and Bills, and is eligible to return after Week 6 game against Buffalo. So before we dive into this discussion, because I, I made the mistake uh, yesterday when this came down of tweeting out, Something regarding how, you know, I was wanting people to be held accountable, but I'm also struggling to understand how Willie Gay is suspended for a third of the games that Deshaun Watson was for breaking a vacuum, which is short selling what actually happened. Um, I'm sure that, which I ended up kind of talking about later with a friend of mine on who's on Twitter, um, Casey Mulletman, shout out to you. It short sells what actually happened, which was a terrifying incident, I'm sure, for his his the mother of his child. And I don't want to do that here. Punishment should have become down, period. Like it, it should have come down. I think for me, what I want to discuss is the timing of it and the length of it. Those things are the things that don't make sense to me when compared again to other punishments that were relegated out by the NFL. So Sam, I'll let you bat lead off here. Take us through your reactions and thoughts on the Willie Gay suspension um, and, and when it came down, what your initial thoughts were. 
it's tough because if the Sean Watson situation had not occurred and Willie Gay was handed a four-game suspension for what occurred all the way back in January, again, that's the thing that we have to start with is this happened in January, and it was September 19th is when the, the suspension was finally handed down. It, but if the Deshaun Watson situation had not occurred, four games seems appropriate. Because, again, yes, there was damage to the vacuum. That That's, what, again, like you said, Sean, everyone will bring up, it was just a vacuum. No, it, it was a domestic situation. And there should be – there there really should be a, a pretty zero tolerance, I think, in, in professional sports for domestic violence and or any kind of domestic issue. Again, I, we don't know exactly – I don't, to my understanding, I don't believe any domestic abuse had occurred. I know that there were, there's conflicting accounts of pushing and and whatnot, uh, or not conflicting accounts, but that's what has been rumored had occurred. But if it had been handed down four games back in January or February, whenever they went through the process, I'd have been like, okay, sucks, but I understand it. You add on, the confusing part, which is they waited two games into the season. And I did like that. Uh, it, again, uh, just shouting out times ours because that's what I was listening to on my way drive back home. Uh, that It was just kind of like, oh, Willie Gay's playing real good. Wait, wasn't he supposed to be suspended? <laughs> it is like they forgot. And they're just like, oh, yeah, we got to do that. Get that guy, too. So that that's just a strength, an oddity in general. And I and like I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, you know. Are they, did they want him to be there for the, like, you know, that's all about storylines, but there's really no storyline. And obviously they won a competitive game with the Chargers, but it's just a very strange, that that in itself is strange. But I think it is the, the length of the suspension compared to Deshaun Watson and what he dealt with. I don't think it has anything to do with the, the suspension length of Willie Gay because I, again, I, I feel that is appropriate for any type of, Domestic incident, there should be a hefty fine and suspension because it, it has to be shown that this is not appropriate in any phase of life. And, and these are guys that guys kids look up to, and we have to show them that you know this is not okay. It shows that they didn't have any idea what they were doing when they sanded down that suspension to Sean Watson. And also, he is a quarterback. He is one of the better quarterbacks in the league, and they want him on the field as soon as possible. So I. I I actually don't have too much of an issue with the with with Willie Gay's suspension. I, I think it was just the oddity of two games into the se- season and it taking from January to September to actually get that suspension la- waiver or uh, handed down. I don't have as much problem with that as I do with just again going back to Sean Watson, which I don't want to continue just beating a dead horse over, but it is pretty unacceptable in my eyes for for the egregious nature of what he apparently or again allegedly did yeah and to to confirm what you're saying sam that is that is his the the mother of his child's report is that while he didn't strike her he didn't do anything he did push her down onto the couch before then i think breaking i don't remember what other damage but that's when he broke the vacuum was not on her and to willie gay's credit he did own it um and said i need to get some some actual serious help for my mental health. So he has owned this, which is more than I think most athletes typically do. Um, they'll say, yeah, I'm sorry for my actions, and they do nothing about it. 
And Willie Gay actually has gone and gotten help. So that's a big, big step. He shouldn't have done it, but I am happy to hear that he did go get help. However, you can't do it. Jacob, what about you? Um, what was your reaction when you heard the suspension came down for Willie Gay? Like Sam said, timeline happened a while ago. So honestly, I kind of forgot that it was a thing. I have remembered that Frank Clark at some point will have a suspension. But again, none of it makes any sense. NFL really needs to sort out a punishment table of how to punish guys. I mean, if you look at Watson, it's like, sure, he committed some sort of a sex crime. And he did it repeatedly. So it's like, why can't you treat that person as a repeat offender and have a table of, this is how long this person's out. Clearly, the dollar signs are what influence a lot of the suspensions. Because like, well, we don't want to kick Deshaun Watson out for three years because then we won't make as much money featuring a quarterback. I mean, it's, it's all twisted. And we know the NFL has always had a morality issue. It sucks. But one thing I will say is that I think the Chiefs knew that Willie Gay was getting suspended next week because Leah Chanel started to get a lot more snaps that I noticed. So that's that is the last follow-up thing here, and then we can go actually talk about football. But I am curious your guys' thoughts because that, that did pop into my head that Frank Clark may still get a suspension. And then I started thinking, like, well, wait a minute, like Alvin Kamara still may have a suspension looming out there for him. And, like, the timing of any suspension for any off the field or even on the field issues, like we saw with Mike Evans, who just got suspended for, for, you know, blindside checking. Uh, oh God, what's the corner's name from New Orleans? Lattimore. Lattimore. Thank you. He's got suspended for one game right away. So I'm starting to wonder like how these late, if these late suspensions continue throughout the year, how that could impact teams, getting uh you know with playoff aspirations so it'll be interesting to see how it goes i'm with you jacob i think this might be uh, i'm hoping that the deshaun watson incident will incidents um assault cases will lead them to say we need to like actually iron out like maybe like a three strike rule but if you if but if you do these things then you're just done period like if deshaun watson a case like that comes up again, you're just out. You're gone. So we'll see what happens. So I think the other the other strange thing to me, and this is just, again, it was, I hate, like I'm stealing everything from Times ours, but again. It's a good one to steal from. They bring up a lot of very good points is with the Mike Evans suspension, you got a like page worth of explanation as to why he got suspended. We just we didn't get anything from Willie Gay. Like there, I feel like they have to figure out. We understand like what it was. I think everyone obviously it was a police incident, but they have to get to a point where they can give a, a general explanation as to why the length is being levied upon each suspension when it comes to situations like this. Until they're able to do that, it, it just seems like they're arbitrarily throwing whatever number they feel is appropriate at this time out. And I, feel, I I don't think any NFL fan will ever accept them or, or feel comfortable with the suspension of these natures, regardless of the situation, just because there is no explanation. It's just he's suspended because of this. Well, you go into uh, the hit, which obviously we everyone saw. It was obviously a very public thing. 
everyone knew why Mike Evans was being suspended. You didn't need to write a page on it. <laughs> like everyone understood Mike Evans was suspended for a game and everybody be like, I get it. Yeah, it makes sense. That's a really good point. Hopefully that'll be part of their rewriting of any rules if they ever get around to that. Off-field stuff has been addressed. Something we always have to talk about, never enjoy talking about. Um, hopefully Willie Gay continues to get the help he needs. Hopefully the mother, his child, and his kid are going to be good going forward. And punishment's been handed down. Now we can move on. Two... Thursday night football last week. Uh, it'll be a week from the day this podcast actually drops. I was in Chicago when the Chiefs were playing, which is why I was not tweeting throughout the game, which I did miss. Um, my wife and I and my brother-in-law uh, were in a hotel room, exhausted after deep dish pizza in Chicago. And so we were just watching the game on our phones because I couldn't find it anywhere on TV. So I watched everything from my phone, which is an experience, by the way. It Wait, was, so you, how, many, how many people in this room are just sitting there watching a phone? Well, my well, Lauren was on the bed with me looking at my phone, and Quentin was on the opposite bed looking on his phone. So there were two phones involved. Hey, Sean, don't worry. I watched it on my phone as well. Not because I wanted to, because Amazon Prime Link didn't work. <laughs> God. I didn't hear there was a lot of problems for a lot of people. I got lucky and didn't have those, but were the phones at the same time? Were you cheering way before your friend was cheering? Oh no, they were synced up. Like I, I actually had the audio off on my phone, and it just and his was on, and so we just both watched with one set of audio. And you guys didn't debate switching beds, guy guy, two phones, maybe one playing Mitch Holtis's call, one watching the game. You know, I didn't even think of that, and I'm a little ashamed of myself. Sean, remind me to never go on a trip and stay in a room with you. <laughs> At least not during Chiefs season. Let's start on the defensive side of the ball, because I think that's the one that – that's the side that really impressed me, at least. I'll get your guys' opinions. Let's start with the two – best performers, at least by general consensus. Feel free to tell us who, if, if you guys disagree. Who had the more impressive day on the defense? Chris Jones with his two sacks and constant assaulting of Justin Herbert? Or Jalen Watson, who got tossed into starting duty after the Trent McDuffie injury and comes away with maybe the biggest play of the game with a 99-yard pick six at the goal line? Um, Sam, we'll let you bat lead off. Who do you think had a more impressive day? I would say just for Jalen Watson, obviously had the impressive play, the play that shaped the rest of the game and likely stole that game for us, essentially, because if I'm sorry, Chiefs fans, if you watch that game and didn't come away saying, yeah, we probably shouldn't have won that game. You need to reevaluate how you're watching games because <laughs> that was not one we that that was a plus win to say the least. That was that was a plus plus win. But I think overall impact of the game, how just the guy that changed the game was Chris Jones. And it was funny because they, they had him lined up against the rookie guard for a while, and he pretty much stalwarted Chris Jones pretty well. And then 
Spagnolo was like, yeah, we're just going to go over here and, uh, yeah, let's Chris go to work on this guy. But you watch the second half specifically, um, the garden centers were, I mean, it was clear they were very worried about Chris Jones and it opened everything else up for the defensive line. And so I think overall impact on the game was definitely Chris Jones, who was the most, who made the most impressive play. Yes. Watson that it, it was incredible, but, Chris Jones still is Chris Jones. Jacob, how about you? Out of Jalen Watson and Chris Jones, who do you think had the more impressive day on Thursday Night Football? I think the obvious answer is Chris Jones. But, you know, we nailed it last week with the uh, Charvarius Ward comparison because, as you guys said, well, hopefully Jalen Watson can see and catch the ball. He saw it. He caught it. He's already better. But still, that man is sticky on guys. Not, I mean, the interception, of course, he was right on his guy. But all night, it's like, oh, my goodness, this is the steal of the draft. His play immediately jumped me back to something Jacob said early on, um, I think maybe after the first couple preseasons or even after the first game, and it's other execs throughout the league just saying, how do they keep doing this? Like, I can't remember who he was referring to, if it was Jalen Watson or not, but it was just like, how, how do they keep doing this? Because we got Trey Smith last year. Now we're seeming to get production out of these seventh-round rookies, two of them now. Yeah, I, I think it's obvious, Sam. You trade away all of your third-round picks because Brett Beach is not good in the third round, and you just trade them for a three-sevenths every year. <laughs> Money. Money. I, will, I agree. I the more exciting day, I think, is Jalen Watson for at least just because of the circumstances being thrown in to start last minute. He gets the biggest play of the day. But Chris Jones dominated in every possible way. And not just in the passing game, which he did miraculous things in the pass rush, but also in the run game. Like the play where he took the guard and just drove him into the running back four yards deep and then threw the guard aside and grabbed the running back for a tackle for a loss. It's again, it shows like Chris Jones just like whenever he wants to be, he's better than the guy in front of him majority of the time. Sometimes he'll get got, like you said, Sam, that rookie I thought played fantastic ball. I don't even know the guy's name, but that was awesome. Um, But I think the other thing that was impressive is that Jones, it wasn't, it's not just a bull rush that he beats people with. Like he is miraculously strong. He's stronger than most guys across from him, but he just, his hand fighting swim moves up and under like he, he beats guys in a myriad of ways. And after a while, you kind of start to feel, feel bad for Herbert who had one of the gutsiest performances I've ever seen by an NFL player after fracturing his rib cartilage is what the report actually came down that he did. And he's still standing in there and just taking hits from Jones and Clark and Dana beyond just his own production, which is, you know, two sacks, two quarterbacks hits, two tackles for a loss. The attention paid to Jones opens up one-on-one opportunities for Frank Clark, for George Karloftis, for Carlos Dunlap. For Mike Dana, who's quietly turned into a pretty solid pass rusher, by the way, they they are getting more one-on-one opportunities because Chris Jones is back where he should be playing inside and is playing again like an All-Pro defensive tackle. 
and just just to give the young man some credit, like he needs to be playing in the NFL. But the rookie's <laughs> name is Zion Johnson. Just we thank you. Yeah, some credit. yeah, I should have known that. I think I might have even taken him in a mock draft once or twice. Um, yeah, he played a he played a terrific game. He really did. Again, the pass rush. We talk about Jones now, but the pass rush overall was really fantastic. Um, Chiefs get the two sacks from Jones. Um, they had, let's see here. I ha- thought I had this total up: two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight quarterback hits on Justin Herbert. So again, like they only get to him twice, and it's both times with Jones, but they were constantly hitting him, constantly getting into him, not just applying pressure and making him move off his spot, but actually making contact, driving him into the ground, making it harder to actually get a throw off. It wasn't a sack, but it was a definitive improvement over last year. So I wanted to ask this question because the Chargers did have two key injuries to their center and their right tackle during the game. So the question is, do you believe in this pass rush as, as one that will allow the Chiefs to compete at a high level and get through the playoffs and actually maybe catch Joe Burrow if they actually see him in the playoffs again or something to that effect? Or are you more inclined to be reserved with your optimism and wait to see if the, the Chiefs can do this against an offensive line that has all of their starters? Um, we'll go ahead, Sam, and let you start again. As bullish as I've been on the on the defense, because I I mean, I have no reason not to be. I'll be a little reserved on the pass rush. I don't think, not saying that I don't think it's greatly improved because it obviously is, but we're not the Bills. We don't have that kind of pass rush. Like we're, I don't think the problem is we don't have that guy that we know. Like Chris Jones could be it, but we know Chris Jones has the tendency sometimes to disappear at times unfortunately. Um, but we don't have that guy that we know we need a sack. This is the guy that's going to do it. I think we have guys that can do that and potentially will develop, but I'll be slightly reserved on, on the D line as far as the pass rush goes. I think overall play, they're great, but pass rush is still something I'm a little hesitant seeing. This was a week of improvement. And I think it all again, rallies around Chris Jones. When Chris Jones plays well, the defense plays better. And it all goes to the defensive line because when Chris Jones plays well, every everybody else gets single. I mean, only has to go against one guy because they have to double team Chris Jones. Jacob, how about you? Are you buying all in on the pass rush, or are you more cautiously optimistic because of the injuries that occurred to the Chargers' offensive line during the game? Yeah, I mean, the injuries no doubt helped. That was a huge turning point, but I was excited that. Karloftis has learned at least to try some moves. That was encouraging. Versus week one, like Sam said, his move was push. I want to call it a I want to call it a bull rush, but even to me, it was just like push. And I, I was a little discouraged, but this week I was more encouraged. And the Chargers all night were doubling and chipping the Chiefs in, so they were respecting the Chiefs' pass rush as well, which was odd because the Chiefs were supposed to be the team in this game that was scared of the pass rush and chipping and having the tight end help out here and there. Instead, the Chiefs just decided screens all the time. I'm I'm more buying in, I think. I I think part of, part of it is they did what they needed to do against an offensive line that had holes in it. 
maybe not right away, but as the game went on, there were holes and the Chiefs exploited it. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. It's kind of how I felt about the Cardinals, where it's like, you you saw an inferior team, you beat the hell out of them. And that's kind of what happened here. Like the, the backups came in, they weren't as good, and you smoked them. The other things that make me optimistic, one, Jones back inside, again, looks like a monster. And he actually played a really high percentage of the snaps. From what I remember him typically playing, he played 75%, which I don't know why that seems high, but typically I remember him playing around in the 60s. And maybe I'm just remembering like early in his career and I'm not giving him enough credit. That was a high number of, of a high percentage for him to be on the field, which is a good thing. The other thing is that Mike Dana, like I said, has, has I think drastically improved as a pass rusher. He's not elite. He's not great. Um, but I think he's, he's at least average now to maybe slightly above average, which where I would have said that last year uh, he was, more of a liability in pass rush and this year there's definitive improvement also to your point jacob is a rookie you have to think that he is going to get better because you already said that you just saw improvements between week one and week two and to to be fair to Karloftis, in week one that bull rush was just effective so maybe he didn't feel the need to go to another move he's just like i'm gonna move you into the backfield I think as the year goes on, Joe Cullen seems to have really reached a lot of these guys in pass rush and in just in their assignments overall. He seems to have done a terrific job. You have to think that a rookie with a ton of upside is going to get better. So I I think I am, while acknowledging the injuries, I am more bullish on this pass rush now than maybe I have I have been throughout the offseason and through the first game of the season they did what they needed to do and they exploited holes and i I think there's still room for improvement from guys who can still improve so last thing on the defense here and then we'll flip uh flip the coin and go to the offense where does this defense still need to get better because right now i i think they have played above where they rank but they still rank at least off pro football reference they rank 18th in points allowed and 19th in yards allowed. It's not bad, considering where, where I thought maybe this defense would be to start the year, considering all the youth and, and still be having concerns about the, the, off, the defensive line, which have been alleviated to a, to a large degree. But where do you still think they need to improve? How do you think they need to get better uh, in order to – to get to that next tier where you're looking at maybe a top, hopefully at, at the top 10 defense. Um, Jacob, we'll flip things around and I'll let you answer this one first. Where does the defense still need to improve? Up the middle, defensive line. Against the run, that's where they were getting slaughtered to start the game. And then they need to find somebody that can cover a big wide receiver because clearly that is an issue for them. They had no answer for Mike Williams. I think they must have started – doubling him and then of course the pressure helped out because Herbert didn't have time to stand in there and deliver a nice ball to Mike Williams anymore. Yeah, I think ideally you hope that Josh Williams continues to develop and eventually he'll see the field at least against those kinds of sized wide receivers because he has the actual size to play with them. Sam, what about you? Where do you think this defense still needs to get better? I think honestly it being able to stay on the field. Not like in games, but 
I mean, lost our first round, our first round cornerback to IR, Willie Gay. And, and these are not necessarily like, I mean, injuries, a suspension, things like that. But you've got a lot of new pieces and they need to play together. I think that's where this team can improve because, I mean, I, I've been all in on the defense, I think, since the draft of what we were able to do or kind of as we've seen it develop. And I think the pieces are all there. Obviously, the the one glaring one, again, because I was – I won't say glaring, but I, I guess if I had to single out one thing, it'd be pass rush. But I think more than anything, it's just time on the field together, being able to get as a cohesive unit. Because as much as we know, like, how, how much of a struggle that is on offense, Spagnola's defenses are difficult. We've seen – I mean, that's the one thing that's impressed me is we know how – how badly our defensives have started when we recycle pieces. And that's because Spag's defenses are not easy. And we're starting out like this. I'm pretty comfortable with it. Yeah, I think for me, I just like to see when Willie Gay comes back, maybe tackle a little bit more and uh, consistently. Because even when he, I mean, because he's still had an amazing game. Like there's no way around it. He played a terrific game while still missing a, a few tackles for a loss uh, again one-on-one against Austin Eckler uh, I'd like he, to see he was that looking for his huddle he was looking for that huddle highlight video tackle twice <laughs> yeah yeah for sure hey he missed I, those tackles three yards in the backfield so he did and that's where I'm like if you make those it changes the complexion of, of those series because he's just no one can get to the 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 ball carrier like he can. He's so fast, sideline to sideline and north and south. It's just maybe break down slightly and secure the tackle um, going forward. So that's a small one. It's a small, small thing. I'm with you guys, though. I think cohesiveness um, is, is going to be a big one. I think, Jacob, to your point, might help shore up those things up the middle. You are having Nick Bolton be the the voice uh, in the defense the captain on the field with the green dot something he hasn't done at the nfl level what you're relying more on willie gay you're you're still figuring out the rotation outside of chris jones i think there's there's still a lot of room for improvement from guys who have been here but maybe haven't been in these key roles so i'm hopeful that the cohesion fixes that part all right let's flip this coin and go to the offensive side of the football not not the same kind of day that we saw in week one against Arizona. Um, so kind of a similar, another, if is, is this or that question, how much of the struggles for the offense do you contribute to it being a short week? Um, or do you just say, look, they ran into a, a defense that is elite in a lot of spots. And this might be what we have to expect going forward against defenses that have these kinds of pieces. Um, Jacob, we'll, we'll let you go again, uh, go first again this time. Where where are you on that spectrum for the Chiefs offense? Yes, again, Thursday night football is tough to predict. Again, the Chargers are built perfectly to play the Chiefs. They have good safety play, so they can do cover two. They have awesome defensive ends that – is the Chiefs' weakness in their own line is the tackles are shaky. We know up the middle, supposedly, they're pretty rock solid, even though at times during that game that was scary. But I, I still just think it's 
it's because of the Chargers. But the analogy I kind of used with the Chiefs this year, we we talked about them being the Sharkandrick West version of the Chiefs where it was just like you spread the ball around. Another one that you could talk about is there were some years Peyton Manning didn't have too much to work with, but he still made guys look like real deal guys like Anthony Gonzalez. Peyton Manning killed Anthony Gonzalez. <laughs> I've heard that name in God knows how think, long. But you know who he is because Peyton Manning made him something. He also turned turned his brain to mush. Could be. But, was that Austin Collie? Which one did he throw twice? Just like death balls. And... I can't remember. It was one of those two. Kind of the same concept, though. Austin Collie about the same way as Anthony Gonzalez. Right. And I, and I think that's what it is. I don't think they have the superstars. But I also, one more thing I do want to see from the offense. This might have been the next question. But one more thing I do want to see is they need to get guys quicker, open underneath and shorter routes. And I hope that's Sky Moore because he had two snaps in this game. Hopefully there's a plan to slowly work that man in because he would seem like the answer of who's going to be open really quick when the other team is blitzing you or getting pressure. I think it will be eventually. Um, Just steal from Sam uh, in his Times Artist theme. I I also listened to that podcast, Sam, and Nate Taylor pointed out that when the Chiefs don't have to, they won't play rookies right away. They just don't. Like Steve Spagnola doesn't do it on the defensive side until Brett Beach takes away all of his veterans and says, you're going to play the rookies, damn it. Um, and- John, John, the Chiefs had arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, and they still didn't let him play. And they didn't rookie. let him play. Until the final game of the season. And they didn't let him play. And that is a soapbox that if you listen to Saran Petra on 810, he will stand on for the rest of time that if they played Patrick Mahomes in the Titans game, that they might have won. Sam, what about you? Where do you give credit uh, more to is it the Chargers as a defense, or is it just the short week on Thursday night football being tough to to form a game plan for? I think it was a little bit of both. I would lean a lot heavier to short week if this wasn't the second game of the season, because again, they were able to game plan for this throughout basically the entire summer, and we know Andy Reid did that. It, I think the Chargers defense. What surprised me the most is. I think a lot of timing got messed up in this game up the middle. We didn't talk about the, the the woes on the offensive line or what we thought would be the offensive line at the tackles. It seemed to be that there was a lot of middle pressure. And it, there, I will say this was – I didn't think this was the guard center best game we've ever seen. And I do think that, that changed a lot of the di- dynamics where we, we're not doing the long wind-up throws anymore, but even the quick hitters, I feel like Pat was having to – adjust where he was going because there there did seem to be a lot of pressure up the middle and it did it did seem to be throwing like again pat didn't get it wasn't a sack pressure but it was just timing and i I think i think there's another level to this that second game of the season you're playing a team like again like i said this i feel like this was a steel win but it wasn't the most creative play calling that we've ever seen andy Reid do and it's very likely he was holding some of the plays back for later in the season when I think he probably thought that game's probably going to count just a little bit more when we get to them a, a second time in 
away from home, it, it may count just a little bit more. So a lot of the playbook may have been held back, but I, I think the Chargers defense is incredibly good. Derwin James is able to do a lot to take away the middle of the field, just his presence. He is that kind of throwback safety, I feel like, but it, it they, they're a good team overall. And it, it was just, wasn't the best night for the offense and still managed to put up points. And that's the thing. And um, when you're seeing, a fifth round pick on a second team and, or yeah, second team and, and uh, Justin Watson catching a beautiful touchdown, which again, that may not happen in the next meetup because I think JC Jackson is probably still just a little bit slow with that ankle. Maybe just a little bit. <laughs> I think that ball may be a little different later on in the season, but still a beautiful pass. Um, but you, you see him going to other options. You're, he's not trying to force Tyreek anymore. So you're seeing him have to use those options which again is what I talked about last week, which I'm I'm happy to see. I'm happy to see that progression of passing to other players. And I think that continues to develop, but I don't think it was the best night in general for the offense, but I think the, the Chargers do have a very good defense, kind of like the Bills that is kind of set to beat the Chiefs. Derwin James can take away the middle of the field, but Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to take his lunch. That was awesome. And I think for payback, Travis Kelsey got a spine buster, so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, can I do some real quick random Indianapolis Colts trivia because that's what this podcast is all about, and we are playing them next week. So, uh, 1999, the Indianapolis Colts went 13 and three. Peyton Manning was their quarterback. He threw for 4,000 yards. Who were his top? We'll go four receivers by yards. Number one is obvious. Martin Harrison. Okay. Number two, you've heard of the guy. Not a receiver. It's not, not Reggie. Dallas Clark. He wasn't there yet. And it's not a receiver. Dallas Clark. Oh, um, Edrin Edgerin James. Edgerin James. So Marvin Harrison had 1,600 yards. That's tracks. <laughs> Edgerin James, 586. I could oh, give geez. you all day, and you will not get the next two. A man named Terrence Wilkins had 565 yards. When they got in that. I couldn't even tell you who that is, but it just sounds like a name that's been on and off of the Chiefs practice squad that I would pretend like I knew. Terrence Wilkins. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was that special teamer guy. Yeah, really good gunner. Uh, and then the other name you probably actually have heard, Ken Dilger. Nope. Tight end. I got nothing for you. All right, so – Sam, you had mentioned the interior of the offensive line not having their best day. I would agree, um, which actually makes me feel a little bit better because I know what that, that middle is capable of. But how are we feeling about the offensive line after this performance? Um, Jacob, will let you bat lead off this time. What do you think about the offensive line after Thursday night football? How long is Lucas Niang out? I, I do hope that Lucas Niang can come back and bring something. I'm not counting on it. It's tough to basically not ever play football other than a handful of games and then come back and contribute. But man, if he could at least just be a little bit better than Andrew Wiley to make there be a little more relief on Mahomes when Orlando Brown's getting beat every now and then again. And then he got, if he got beat a little less than Andrew Wiley, then there's one less pressure for Mahomes. One play can make or break a game. Sam, what about you? How are we feeling about the offensive line? Sound like earlier you were filled with a lot of optimism. Yeah, I mean, we 
didn't start the podcast by saying Mahomes got sacked 10 times, which I honestly going into it very well could have been the possibility with the two rushers they had. So I, I feel fine about it. I mean, again, we're, we're still like Jacob said, you're still got that question at right tackle. Um, hard to tell if Trey Smith is still a little gimpy or, or held up at all with the injury he had last week or the week before, but, but we know what, uh, Creed Humphrey and Thune are. Um, Orlando Brown is, again, proving to have improved his pass blocking, I think, pretty greatly compared to what we saw at the beginning of last year. So I'm, I'm fully comfortable with it. Uh, right tackle will will be the glaring area, area that we watch the entire season. What the solution to that is, we don't know. But I'm not, I'm not too perturbed by anything I saw again with – that was the big worry is they were a pass rush – just pass rush demons and wasn't didn't seem to be too big an issue. Yeah, I'm I'm with you to your why I said I think I'm optimistic that it was the interior of the offensive line that maybe didn't have their best day because you kind of know what you're going to get. The questions I had were mostly about the tackles. I mean, you're coming up against arguably one of the best, arguably the best pass rush tandem you'll see this year with Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, top three at least. And I thought they played pretty well. I actually I actually am maybe more optimistic, Jake, about Andrew Wiley. I think he's well outplayed the expectations that I, I know I certainly had for him, and I think maybe what most Chiefs fans had for him. And he's been a very serviceable right tackle. And especially against these guys, I thought he did great. Um, the other thing that made me feel optimistic is that even though it wasn't their best game, the interior, I thought there were some moments where the running backs had some terrific pass protection. Like Isaiah Pacheco getting up and in on a blitzing Derwin James and keeping him off of Mahomes was awesome. To see a seventh rounder be that adept in pass rush, uh, pass protection, excuse me, against as you said, Sam, one of the best safeties in the NFL who can do a myriad of things. Those kinds of things make give me hope that on a full week with a good game plan where you're not still nursing the previous week's uh, nicks and bruises and all that, that they might look even better. Again, you're going to have have the same answer for the Chargers, but I am optimistic that they will look even better the next time around when they play. Also, I, I completely see why Jarek McKenna has been hurt his entire career. That man has no regard for his body when it comes to blocking. <laughs> He's just oh. like, whatever. He's not going to touch Pat. So. <laughs> he, he looks like he weighs 185 out there, and he's just checking linebackers with full force. And you get, I'm with you. You get it after a minute. Last thing on the offense, then we'll look ahead to the uh, Sunday game against the Colts this coming weekend. And that is, and I kind of mentioned Clyde Edwards-Alaire earlier, taking a shot from Derwin James and just giving one back and continuing to run. Clyde's been pretty good so far, guys. So I did want to ask, after two weeks, do you think that going forward, if this continues, that Clyde can be an actual difference maker on the offense and not just 
a contributor. And I did want to draw the line of distinction between those two. Because I think McCole Hardman is a contributor. I think he is a useful asset, a useful player who can do a lot of different things, but you kind of have to scheme him open. You kind of have to get him those, those plays and spots. Whereas in the last couple of games, Clyde's kind of made some things happen both in the, re the receiving game and as, as a rusher. So what do you guys think? Can he be a difference maker, or do you still just just see him as maybe a, a contributor, even if that's a high-level one? Sam, we'll start with you. I think you have to rephrase the question with him. It, it, it's not necessarily can he, it's will he. I think he has all of the skills when healthy, yes, to be a difference maker, to, to do what we drafted him to do. The thing is, I don't think the Chiefs are worried about him doing that. They're perfectly comfortable, I think, running through a rotation of backs. Whoever's hot is getting getting the ball. So will he have games where he's going off? I think so. But will you likely see a continued rotation of McKinnon, uh, Pacheco, and then maybe uh, – I've just lost his name. Oh, Ronald Jones? Ronald Jones. Yeah, there you go. I already forgot he was on the team. Grab yeah. his name. Maybe you'll see him. I think he's kind of, again, like we talked about, he's kind of the safety valve right now. When, not if, it's when one of these guys gets hurt, he will be there. But I, I think they're perfectly comfortable because, again, the one the one lack that we've seen, because I think we've seen an improvement in a lot of Clyde's game or, or a, a step forward in a lot of Clyde's game, the one thing that I don't think they're still comfortable with and why he won't be able to be, I mean, like, like we've talked about, there is no bell cow. Back. There are very few bell cow backs left in the NFL. It's not really a position you see, but he's not a great pass blocker. He's not good at protection. And McKinnon and Pacheco have shown to be that. So until Clyde can take that role, there's no, he's not going to be that back. So I, yes, I think he has the capability, but I don't think he will have the opportunity because they don't need him to be. Um, some stats pulled up here. I'll get to in a minute. Jacob, what about you? Do you think he can be a difference maker, or do you still see Clyde as just a contributor? I'm supposed to be the big fan out of all of us about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I mean, if he can catch passes like they threw him Thursday night over the middle and beating a linebacker, yeah. I just don't have the faith that they'll continue to use him that way because there's one thing we know about Andy Reid offenses. It's like, they have their plays and their schemes, and they kind of stick to them. So, I mean, that one was kind of out of the norm, and I hope it is part of the plays and schemes, but him on a wheel route is more likely. So we'll see. I, I'm just not biting yet, and I know that's rough, but 52-yard run is kind of skewing what Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is and, and a nice catch. So that was two big plays. But he's got to put that more together consistently. So here are some numbers I, I hope, Jay, will give, give you maybe a little more hope and lean more into the difference maker. Because I think that's where I'm sitting right now. So, again, they're not going to use their, their backs the same way the Chiefs um, that in Indianapolis will with the Jonathan Taylor. They're just not built to do that. They don't want to do that. They, they want to throw the ball. But so far, um, on 15 carries this year, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is 116 yards rushing. 
that's again, it's over two games, but that's that's a full full Priest Holmes or Jamal Charles day. He is averaging seven and a half seven point seven yards per attempt on on the ground. So again, maybe not getting the volume, but what we talked about before the season even started, but being more efficient, maximizing the chances that you get. Here's where I think we will see him use Jacob more. The reasons why I still think we'll see him use more. Right now he's averaging you know, three and a half catches a game. It's, you know, it's seven catches total so far this year. Averaging 10.9 yards per reception, so almost 11 yards. He's averaging a first down every time he catches the ball, and he has not had a drop when targeted. So when you have that kind of reliability, the ability to pick up a first down every time you catch the ball, or at least close to it, averaging that out, as it were, to me that gives me some optimism that they are going to continue to ride Clyde Edwards-Alaire at times, in the passing game specifically. We've seen that they're more willing in moments to run the ball. Again, not, not to the level that I think some people would like to see. Um, I definitely wish they'd stuck more with the running up the middle early in the Chargers game and not immediately gone to a, a jet sweep on third and one. But his ability to catch the ball is finally starting to get some shine. The stuff that we thought we were going to see when the Chiefs drafted him in the first round. You're starting to see that. So that, to me, is what's giving me optimism that he will be a difference maker. It's those... those ancillary stats, the things on the side, not just the total numbers, it's the, the catch percentage, it's 100%, it's the yards per reception, it's those things, it's like he's maximizing those moments that he gets, and that gives me hope that they will start to use him in a way that he gets to be the difference maker we thought he might be. So I've got a question for you guys and then one more comment. What was going through Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's head when he made that long run and covered the ball up, like the right trigger got stuck on his Xbox controller. <laughs> like, was it just, oh shit, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. I can run. <laughs> you not going to mess up. Because <laughs> it was, he was just like, oh shit, 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 oh God. Yeah, I feel like no. um, yeah that was, it was just like the longest period to cover the ball that I think I've ever seen. I feel like I thought had the enemy in his head just saying, don't you drop that ball. I thought it looked like in a movie when they portray an offensive lineman or a very large person carrying the ball. Yeah, no, that's exactly. <laughs> in my mind, but I like yours better, Sam. Like the right it's, it's happened to all of us. It's happened to all of us that have to play video games that are six years old with yeah. controllers that are right and <laughs> sitting there beating the controller. He'll <laughs> run. Uh, oh God! The, the last comment. We do have to give one special shout out to the real player of the game, and that's GEH Field, GHA Field. Mm. Because without that field, this game is not the same because he it stopped multiple turnovers from occurring. So shout out to the field. Shout out to that field, man. All right, let's look ahead and we'll wrap things up here tonight with a preview of the Chiefs versus Colts this coming Sunday at noon central. The Colts guys look kind of awful. They just look bad. And that's with what looks like a breakout season from Michael Pittman in the first game before he got hurt. Jonathan Taylor still being there. 
Like they, there are pieces on this team, and yet they're zero one and one. They're zero and what are they? Zero and two? Zero and one and one? Forget. Zero one and one. Zero one and one. That's right, because they tie the first game. What are your impressions of the Colts? I think they suck. I want to get your guys' opinions. Um, Jacob, we'll start with you. John, is that a professional opinion? Yep, that's about as analytical as it gets. They suck. You know what? I'm going to make fun of a couple teams for a second here. So I sat down to watch week two of Broncos-Texans. reason this is relevant is because that's who the Colts tied. Literally, the Texans were all guys that at once were journeymen for the Chiefs, I felt like. Kevin Pierre-Lewis made an attempt. Steven Nelson's – the corpse of Steven Nelson is playing with the Texans now. Just like, oh, my goodness. And, of course, the Broncos eked out a win, so yikes. But anyway, it tells you that the team that tied the Chiefs of six years ago's journeymen is who the Colts tied. Also, I've been looking at some Matt Ryan stats because I never believed in Matt Ryan – when they traded for him, it was a very odd move. But just for for fun, his yards per attempt are six point eight. He's been, and that's really bad. Like Mahomes slash your top guys will be around like nine to sometimes even up to like twelve if it's an insane season. But six or sorry, sorry, that was last year. No, no, 6.8. My bad, my bad. I was looking in the wrong category. He's been sacked seven times, one touchdown, four interceptions. So Matt Ryan's doing about, about as bad as you would think that a 37-year-old quarterback that's not been great for a couple years would do. So I'm, I'm with you. I, I think they are not good outside of Jonathan Taylor, but we're in the NFL now where running back won't necessarily win you a game. Sam, what about you? What do you, what do you make of this Colts team? So I'll explain it by telling you a story of my occurrence over the weekend. So I went to a shoe store. You find a new pair of shoes. You know how salesmen are. They like to create conversations. So it happened to be Sunday. He wanted to talk about football. Well, he was wearing a Colts jersey, and he says, you guys have to play us next weekend. My response was, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's all I said. Sam, I'm proud of you that you're not grunting at people in public anymore. Yeah, the, the, at least I'm getting words out now. It's only one, but. <laughs> it's two. I'm sorry. That's two words. No, I didn't say I'm. I just credit. said sorry. Oh, you just said sorry. <laughs> like, you didn't give him the courtesy of a second word. This is a bad team. There's no, I mean, they have, again, they have young talent, um, but they have an, an ancient quarterback. They have been, Andrew Luck ruined that franchise by retiring early. And they have not been able to get out of that hole since. I I can't honestly can't say I've watched the Colts, so I'm not going to pretend sit here and pretend that I know everything about them. But Jonathan Taylor is obviously one of the better backs in the NFL. It's hard anymore to say, oh, he's the best back here or whatever, because again, the bell cow back is such a rare thing anymore that that's all they have. So of course he's going to put up stats, but it's a bad team. I. There's not much else to, to really say about it. So I don't think, I mean, don't think much of them, to be completely honest. You like- well, Sam, to, to not, not you know, one-up you, 
I did watch the Colts hard knocks last year with a different quarterback. So I am an expert on this version of the Colts. Is so they went from what Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan. Yep. It's a heck of a run. That's a pretty uh there is no improvement along that line. So are we sure they're all a different quarterback? Like I think I'd rather have Carson Wentz now. Oh yeah, no. I think, Look at what he did in, in Washington the last couple of weeks. It's like, it's not great, but it's better than this crap. Yeah. Well, at least you had the age there. Yeah. The other two guys are like, okay, we maybe got a season out of this guy. Here's, here's how bad the Colts are. Trevor Lawrence last year had a 57.14 completion percentage, so 57%. He went 25 of 30. Against the Colts. He threw five incomplete passes and two touchdowns. That is atrocious defense. Like, I didn't play football, and even I can look at that and go, that's really bad. Sean, Matt Ryan's so good that he threw three of his incompletions to the other team. (laughs) Likes to make sure everyone feels involved. The real question is, because we're not sure if Michael Pittman's going to play. By the time this drops, we may have an answer already. But the real question is, what do you do to go about stopping Jonathan Taylor? You're down Willie Gay Jr. It's probably going to be a combination of Leo Chanel and Darius Harris. Um, actually, on the unofficial depth chart, Nate Taylor tweeted out earlier, Harris was listed as a starter. Um, so we'll see how that what that rotation looks like come Sunday at the third linebacker position. What do you do to go about knocking down Jonathan Taylor? Because he's really, I think, the one piece you have to be really worried about. Sam, we'll start with you. Let him run. It's one of those scenarios. I mean, will Jonathan Taylor get his yards? Yeah. But the rest of the offense, I think, is probably so poor that will it really matter that much? I think the defense will evolve depending on what the Colts try to do because I, I don't see them being a, obviously being able to keep up with the Chiefs in general. And if they decide to try to let Matt Ryan throw the ball, we'll probably see them go into more of a nickel and try to make sure that Brian Cook doesn't get any more penalties thrown this game um, as a third safety on the field. But I, I, I just don't – I mean, it's one of those scenarios where – you play normal defense against them. You don't, I, I don't think you're too terribly worried about Jonathan Taylor outscoring Patrick Mahomes. That, that's the end of the, I mean, for me, that's your, that's not a real realistic possibility in my mind. Jake, what about you? You go kind of down the route Sam's gone, or do you have a different take on how you try to stop Jonathan Taylor? Wisconsin on Wisconsin crime. <laughs> Leo Chanel is the answer. You let him play all snaps at linebacker until they decide that they're done running the ball. To be fair, it's that was my response in our group chat. That's also true. It was Leo's time. <laughs> uh, but let's let's hesitate just a little bit. The Chiefs played the Colts a couple years ago with Mahomes, and I want to say, was it Jacoby Brissett? Yeah, yeah, it was Jacoby Brissett because Philip Rivers, I think, was out. 
I don't remember it why. Was the worst. I think it was maybe one of the worst games we've ever seen from. That was the Justin the Houston Colts. revenge game. Yes, it was still close, but I mean, and, but honestly, I I like Jacoby Brissett better than I like Matt Ryan. Yeah, right now I do. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this sucker up. Let's get some bold predictions and final score predictions from each of you. Um, Jacob, we'll let you start things off. I think you went last last week, so let your bat lead off this time. Uh, your score prediction for this game was 28-23 Chiefs and that George Karloftis, your bold prediction, would actually have a sack celebration. Uh, we didn't get to see that, um, so we'll let you go ahead this time. What's your final score against the Colts, and what do you uh, want to make your bold prediction? What Chiefs Chargers wind up at, 27-24? Yeah, you were pretty good. Oh, okay. Uh, I can see the Chiefs coming out just a little bit flat here. Kind of a letdown week for them after a big game against the Chargers. But I'll go with – I'll still go 31-20 with some backdoor who cares scores by the Colts when the game's already over. And then, sorry, uh, bold prediction. Jonathan Taylor has less than 100 yards rushing. I like that. I like that a lot. Sam, what about you? Give me a final score and a bold prediction. Which, by the way, yours, I don't want to shortchange it. Yours was 38-31 Chiefs, and then um, the defense would have three picks, which yeah, well, the whole pick they had was pretty good. <laughs> what was the final score of the Bills-Titans game? 41-7. Do uh 35-12. Uh, and a bold prediction? Three interceptions. I'm doing it until it's until they actually get it. This might be the best chance they've got. I was saying Matt threw three in his last game, so hey. Um, I don't think I, I normally might agree, Jacob, but I think ten days is like giving Andy Reid a mini bye week. I just think that's a terrible recipe for a team that's struggling. So I actually think they're gonna come out and just run rough shot on on the Colts. So I'm gonna say uh, 38 to 10 Chiefs victory for a bold prediction. I'm gonna say Nick Bolton forces two fumbles on Jonathan Taylor or two fumbles on their running backs. I've got one secondary bold prediction. It's Travis Kelsey has over 150 yards receiving, and the reason I say that is because he got to go and be rowdy watching his brother play football. And I think that's how that man recharges. I don't think he needs rest. He needs to go be Travis Kelsey. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us tonight. We appreciate you guys. As always, you are always the best. can't tell you how much we appreciate you listening. Hopefully we get to talk about another Chiefs victory and hopefully a much less stressful one than what we saw this previous Thursday night. Until then, you all stay safe out there, and we will talk to you next week.